0: Come to our text this morning. It is good for us to go to the Lord and to beseech His help. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you as children of dust, feeble and frail. But Lord, we look to one who has clothed Himself in light, one who has risen from the grave. We look to Christ our Lord and we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see Him we would see him high and lifted up. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hard hearts to soften us to the gospel, that you would illuminate our minds, that we might know your word, that we might receive it with love, and that we might practice it in our lives. Father, we pray all of this, and I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For God, you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. This is one of those unique weeks where I don't have to lay much context for you. You probably get tired of me always opening the sermon up and telling you the context of the passage, but Holy Week is designed to situate us and prepare us for Easter. We've already observed Maundy, Thursday, Good Friday, the death of our Lord. Beloved, you and I don't have to acclimate ourselves to death. Not a single person here today wonders. Am I going to die someday? We all are situated under the fall and the curse of death. We've seen one of our dear saints die even this morning. You see, we don't have to come into that context. We live in it. But now, beloved, we come to Easter. We come to the resurrection of our Lord and the proclamation of hope that you and I have in the resurrection. You know, Barry, if he were here, would say there's no such thing as Easter Sunday. See, every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday proclaims the truth of the resurrection of our Lord. And every Sunday we proclaim Christ, who reigns above and again, is coming to set us free, ultimately from all death and sin. And misery. So let us turn our attention now to the Word of God. I invite you to find the passage in your bulletin or in your Bible. We will be reading Matthew 28. I'll read it for us. Let us hear from the Word of God. Jesus, who is the Word made flesh, yesterday, today, and forever. Matthew chapter 28. I'll begin in the first verse. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... Now, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Shortly before my wife Sarah and I were married, wait, wait, that's, that's uh, sorry, that's Barry's sermon. I'm only teasing. I couldn't resist, Sarah. I'm sorry. You know, my my mother's family is from the Northeast, uh, which essentially amounted to my being able to see them. You know, at major holidays once a year, maybe maybe twice a year uh, if we were lucky. And my wonderful grandfather, God rest his soul, was a, a German right off the boat. He was an engineer in the city, and. You know, when I was growing up, he died about 12 years ago. And while I was growing up, I was I was still pretty young, being around him, and I wasn't used to, you know, his mannerisms. I didn't see him every week, and and to me, I dare not speak this, but to me, he just seemed like a big, burly, grumpy old man. He was bald. He was six foot three, really large. And you know, we would, as kids, be playing around, and he'd always get riled up about us knocking something over or doing something, and you know, he's like, "All right, all right, all right, calm down, calm down." Had really husky voice. And, you know, my mother is the youngest daughter of five children, and she was certainly daddy's little girl and, and loved him dearly. And sometimes I will tease her whenever she gets too riled up or frustrated. I'll say, all right, all right, all right, mother dear, it's all right. And that's what my grandfather would call my grandmother's wife. He'd always refer to as mother dear. And every time, it never fails, my mom tears up because she misses him so and she loves him dearly, even though he has been dead for going on 15 years. You know, death has a powerful way of bringing about memories. I mean, presumably my grandfather was a delightful man, but I just remember him as that, all right, all right, all right. You know, and the other vivid memory I have of him was, was reading scripture at his funeral. And I, and I was, you know, 11 or 12. I don't know if the Lord was preparing me for ministry but I look back and think, you know, what in the world are you doing letting a <laughs> an 11-year-old read scripture at a funeral? But, you know, we all know what that's like. To lose someone special and you know, maybe a particular day rolls around and you're the memory of that person floods back or you know, you smell a particular scent you associate with that person or you drive past a particular place, maybe a restaurant you frequented or you know, maybe you see a A picture on your mantle, you know, in the moment, it's just like everything was like it was, and you know that's that's the way it was for these women. They're going to the tomb. Only a few days had passed, and they were remembering what it was like. They were remembering the tremendous difference that Jesus had made in their lives, and it, you know, it wasn't just his teaching and his miracles, but it was his presence. It was his companionship his friendship maybe even his humor you know when Jesus was around they never had any reason to worry or doubt it was a hard world they lived in daily challenges but you know with with Jesus in their lives everything had changed they could they could always face the next day or challenge because they knew that Jesus their Lord was near but you know death changes things and this death was hard, because they, they truly thought he was the Son of God. God, how could you let this happen? Why did God allow this crucifixion in the first place? You know, why couldn't Jesus, why couldn't he just come down from the cross? It was too much to take in. You know, they're, they're, they're in shock. But, but at least they could do right by this man. You know, if he wasn't the Son of God, at least... We can bury him properly. At least as we get in the other Gospels, we can take these spices and we can try to cover over the stench of death. You know, they thought they knew what their day would hold. But you never really know what may happen when God takes over a situation. Think about Exodus 3, the calling of Moses. Moses is a lowly shepherd tending his sheep out in the desert walking around, and suddenly the Lord appears to him in a burning bush. Moses, you are on holy ground, and I will use you to deliver my people. It's the calling of a millennium. God would use him to free his people from Egypt. Or think of Saul in the book of Acts, a man who was breathing murderous threats against the people of God, going out to arrest the Christians. And what happens? Jesus himself appears as a blinding light and arrests Paul and sends him on a new mission with a new calling. You know, these women are surprised by the power of God. Think about it. There's a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descends and he appears as lightning. His clothing is white as snow and he sits on the stone as if he'd conquered it. You know, the guards mentioned in this passage, we, we meet them in the previous chapter because, you know, the chief priests and the Pharisees are very sly. They think to themselves, you know, I remember Jesus telling us that he was going to try to do something in three days. If we're wise, we'd better stop these Christians while we can. Let's, how about we send guards to go and protect the tomb? That way we know the disciples won't come and steal his body, you know, masquerade as if he could really conquer death. You know, Pilate answers him. He says, you've already got my guards. You've got them at your temple. What more do you want from me? He says, but I'll, I'll give you those guards. I'll relinquish my reign over them for a time. And so they have full authority. They dispose these guards at the tomb, and they're guarding day and night. And, you know, these are, these are Roman centurions. These are battle-hardened veterans. You would think in their experience, they were, they were ready to face some fears. They were ready to face any kind of challenge that might be thrown at them. But, but even these guards, nothing in their experience could, could prepare them for the power of God Almighty. You know, as one commentator puts it, there's a great irony in this part of the story. The, the ones who are sent there to protect, to guard the dead, to keep him dead... What happens? They become like dead men while the dead Christ is risen and alive. They're so overwhelmed they can't move. Don't you see that symbolism? They represent Rome itself, the greatest and grandest empire in the known world. And yet this empire is impotent in the face of God Almighty, even appearing as if it's dead. You know, I think there's even more symbolism in our passage, you know, especially this stone. I don't know about you, but but for me, the this stone stands for all of the different ways in which our world tries to control us, tries to hem us in, tries to challenge us. You know, it's those fears that we assume we can't conquer, that the gospel's not big enough to overcome. A big question in our day deals with truth. How do you attain truth? Is there any such thing as truth? You know, the world tells us with a loud and very big stone, you know, there's no absolute truth. Are you kidding me? They try to lock Christianity in the tomb. And they try to bind our witness to the one who is truth. You know, they mock us. There there really can't be a right and wrong, Christians. You you know this, right? I mean, an absolute moral standard to strive for, that's, that's ludicrous. I mean, after all. You Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. How could, how could you say there's a right and wrong if you can't even do it? Do you feel that big stone trying to lock you in? Stifling your witness? Discouraging your boldness to share the gospel? The world is hard at work trying to silence Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. They're, you know, they were doing it 2,000 years ago. But, beloved, they failed. They failed. Because the truth cannot be bound. And it will be set free. We cannot let this stone cripple us in fear. You know, that's the great challenge that was before these women. In Mark's gospel, he, he records for us as they were walking to the tomb, they were saying to one another, Who will roll away this great big stone from the entrance to the tomb? Think about it. Just a few handful of women. How are they going to move this giant stone? You know, a passage like this gives us a better understanding of Matthew 19, 26. Jesus reminds us that with God, all things are possible. Or Philippians 4, 13, Paul proclaims that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Or Ephesians 3, 20, Now to Him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly all than we can ask or think. You know, what God is doing in our text is its really far beyond our tiny imaginations. An earthquake, an angel of the Lord. He doesn't only appear, but he sits on the stone as if he's conquered it. He paves the way for these women to walk right through their greatest challenge of the day. He's not here. He is risen. You know, their minds had been stuck on the problem of this stone but their thinking was too small. You see, while they were concerned about a tiny rock, think about the world. They're concerned about a tiny rock covering one man's tomb. The God of the universe was solving a much bigger problem. He was about the business in the grave, conquering the tomb of all tombs. Jesus was conquering death itself, the great captor of humanity. You know, God was working. He was working out a way to move our stony, hard hearts so that He could breathe within us again the life that is in Jesus Christ. As Ezekiel says, He will breathe into these dusty bones. But it was all happening so fast. Who who could have taken all of this in? But you know, the stone was the least of their troubles and it had been moved. And this Jesus, you know, the one who was unable to save himself a few days before, the one we talked about last week, has now received a power to raise from the dead. They've heard and seen this good news of Easter. They know that they love a risen Savior. The grave and death couldn't hold him. And that's their reason for joy we also see that they respond with a great fear. I mean, we could understand that fear. Could you put yourself in their place for a moment? You walk up and there's a great earthquake. Well, we don't live in you know, the West Coast where there's earthquakes frequently. We've had a couple in the last few years, but that's a, that's a big deal. And then if that's not enough, you see an angel who makes you know Roman soldiers appear as if they're dead. Well, that's a little disarming. But even more than that, Death itself, the natural law, is upended. Who wouldn't be afraid? And I believe they're, they're also fearful for what the angel says in verse 7. If you look at the text, he says, He, that is Jesus, he is going before you. Oh, really? Well, not only are you telling me that not only has he come back from the grave, he's released from the tomb, but now he's let loose. It's as if they're wondering, well, where else is he going to show up? What else is he going to be doing? What's he going to ask me to do? Where is he going to call me to go? You know, it's all good and well just to, to go back to Galilee. It's, it's like Rock Hill. You know, it's comfortable. It's, it's home. But, but Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, how? How could that be? Well, you see, the gospel, the good news of Easter is for all the world. we're not only told that Jesus would go before us and go ahead of the disciples, but we're also told that we will see him. So I ask you this morning, do you really have this kind of vision? Can you see Jesus? I'm not being rhetorical. I ask you that because we see some of his disciples. Disciples presumably who had followed him his whole ministry. Disciples who by this point had probably heard of his resurrection. And we get them on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And the two of them are walking with Jesus, listening to him, and yet they don't see him for who he is. Why? Well, The text tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. By, by what? By By whom? But later, thankfully, we see that their eyes are opened and they do recognize Him for the Lord of glory. You know, that could have been God's work, opening their eyes. But it could have also been their own cold hearts closing their eyes. You know, what in your life takes your focus away from the risen Christ? I wonder what in my life crowds out the room for Easter What in my life is keeping me from seeing Christ as risen today? You know, what about you? Well, I ask you, who is your Savior? Is Christ, the risen Lord, your Savior? One who, if He could conquer death and the grave, could conquer anything in your life? Is that your Savior, or is it something else? Is it someone else? Is it your power to control your life? Is it your ability to provide in all circumstances? Is it is it your ability to understand, to reason through all of these decisions that God places before you? That you might make that perfect decision, knowing and having a peace from God, you know, all of those kinds of things. Is that your savior that you could figure out your life? That you is that your savior? Or maybe our savior is us. We're trying to be worthy. We're trying to earn God's favor. You know, isn't that the isn't that the cry of our culture? Be the best. Be the most beautiful. Be the most successful. Maybe enough people will follow you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Maybe if you're if you're cool enough, if you're nice enough, if you're all of that is noise. And it's not the power of God that we see in our passage this morning. The power of God that we see at work in our text is to raise Jesus from the dead. This is unlike any other power on earth. You know, we've got technology galore today. If I were to ask the room to hold up their phones, probably 90% of you would hold up a computer. I mean, think about that. It's amazing stuff. You know, just 20 years ago, if you went for... If you went for gallbladder surgery, it would probably take five to seven days, about a week to recover. Now it can be outpatient. I mean, you could go in one day and come out the same day a whole new person. There's robots performing surgery on us. It's, I mean, it's crazy stuff. But beloved, I don't want you to miss this. No matter how far we come as a human race, we will never be able to dial back the clock on death. Paul tells us in Scripture that In Adam, all die. There will be no cure for death. There will be no pill that we can take. Yeah, we might live longer and longer and longer. We might cure cancer. AIDS may be a distant memory. We may be able to regrow limbs. We might be able to do all sorts of things. But, beloved, we will all die. These... Two Marys in our text knew this. That's why their mission that day was to go and to anoint the body with spices. They had various ointments. They were going to prepare this man. Oh, if he can't be the Son of God, at least we can honor him as a good friend, you know? But nothing in their experience would prepare them for God's power to bring someone back from the dead. It's no wonder they left with fear. Fear. As they were running with joy, they didn't know what to say or how to act. They knew one thing the greatest challenge of us all, our biggest stone, death itself, had been conquered. Death was swallowed up in the victory of our Lord. You know, they only thought that they were prepared that morning. Now they knew they were prepared for anything. Anything that life can throw at you, any stone, any obstacle, any challenge, you see, that's what the resurrection does. It allows you to overcome this world with all of its pressures, all of its temptations, all of its shortcomings. You know, that's a message that our world needs to hear. That's what they beg us to hear. You know how I know this? Think about the cry of our generation. Now, some may argue with me, but... You know, the cry of our generation is YOLO. You only live once. You know, life is short. It's sweet. Make it count. This is your life. Listen to me. That is a lie. That is not the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you trust in Him, you do not live once. You know, just for an exercise, why don't we take that to its logical conclusion? If you only live once, if this life is all you have, You're dead and gone. What in the world are you doing here? You see, the the culture breaks down in its worldview. If you only live once, why are you wasting your time here? I mean, I'll give you five seconds. Go ahead, just walk out the door. What's the point? You see, if you only live once, it doesn't drive you to live for other people. It doesn't drive you to live sacrificially. It doesn't drive you to build relationships. It drives you to not care about anything and do whatever you want. So go ahead. But you see, the hope and the resurrection changes all of that. Because if you are in Christ and you are a new creation, and the Gospel is so clear that Jesus will come back and give us new bodies just as He Himself has taken a new body. If that's true, then brothers and sisters, you are living in eternity right now. And everything you do and say today matters forever. Now that gives you reason to take hope. That gives you reason to come back to the Lord of glory and say He is risen indeed. That gives you power to overcome any obstacle in your life. As I come to a close this morning, I want to tell you I have the luxury of of, having this sermon thrust upon me. So I'm just going to pause and and talk to you from the heart. When I look out, I'm not being metaphorical here, I see fear. I see doubt. I see worry. Do you want to know why I see that? I look into your eyes and I recognize myself. You know, the Bible doesn't give us every answer. It gives us enough, but it doesn't give us every answer. Why, God? Why would little children die? What in the world could be the purpose of that? Why is there so much pain? Why do I not get this job over and over and over again? Why has my loved one died right in front of me? Why? Christ is victorious. If He hasn't risen then we are to be pitied above all other people. Brothers and sisters, if he is alive, if he is the God-man still, if he is the first human being to live in the presence of God and not be consumed by his wrath and fire, then we have hope that whatever we face in this life, whatever you come up against, Christ reigns above it. And he will bring you through it. And He will deliver you into the very presence of God. And that is your hope today. It's not your hope to make yourself better. It's not your hope to try to ignore all the noise and stifle all of the doubts and fears and just try to come to church more and try to love God more. Beloved, you are not saved through your faith. It is Christ who saves you through faith. It is this risen King who lives on your behalf right now and who is coming again to make all things new. I don't know about you, but that's the good news of Easter to me. When I'm crying, when I'm hurting, when I don't have the answers to give you, Jesus does. Our risen Lord He has conquered death and all else. Amen and amen.